Promise No Promises The Tail and the Tongue Episode 8 Feeling Words in Your Mouth The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further chapter The Tail and the Tongue this series of new episodes arises from conversations between curator and writer Sonia Fernandez-Pan and guests from different storytelling practices and world-making experiences. For a conversation to take place, it is sufficient when two people start talking to each other. However, conversations are never happening just between two people. A conversation holds many bodies, places, stories and experiences. It develops languages and creates interpersonal and temporary dialects. Sharing is also a way of collecting seemingly individual circumstances. Our bodies host many narratives, speaking borrowed words and making stories an important part of who we become. Stories travel between bodies swelling in them. Always in motion, they have no end. Words make worlds in which reality and its fictions travel through the tongue to become tales. Feeling Words in Your Mouth is the eighth episode that follows a conversation with artist Itziar Okaris. The title for this conversation is a phrase by Itziar Okaris in which she emphasizes the materiality of spoken language during our conversation. She will say, to feel the words on the tongue, to feel the words in the mouth. This statement also connects with another idea of hers that I have underlined, which says that the voice is the body of words. Now I regret not having asked Itziar how to give voice to an underline or an italic. This relationship between what is written and what is spoken makes me think of her appreciation of numbers as something concrete and porous at the same time. Numbers are numbers, but also letters. In another conversation, Itziar Okaris will say that words are almost empty. Like bodies, words do not exist by themselves either. They are in relation. They take on meaning in context. When thinking about how our conversation will be audible to people who were not present, I feel that the recorded voice has a spectral dimension. It is the voice of a body that we cannot see, but that we feel is there. And here I think about how it is also possible to feel language in the body, in all the movements we make when we speak, often without realizing it. Language is felt in a body that feels with language. Language shaped our conversation in many ways. Itziar Okaris speaks Basque, Spanish and English, the latter being a late language for both of us. There is an intimate relationship between language and identity. There is a relationship of alterity between language and identity. We are different depending on the language we use. Even the tone of our voice changes. Language is a mirror without a fixed image. The Illiterate is a book that Itziar made appear at our meeting, where Agota Christoph tells us what it means to become a writer with a borrowed language. In the way Itziar works with text, there's a very material presence of words. In her work, language is like water that spills and holds at the same time, taking space. Itziar's artistic practice is influenced by sculpture, a fundamental practice in the Basque context. Her actions and performance bear witness of how bodies not only take space, but how social space takes our bodies. For Variation sur la même thème from 1995, Itziar Okaris shaved her hair drawing a world map on her head. Peeing in public, or private spaces, happened between 2000 and 2004, where she peed mostly standing up indoors and outdoors. I especially like the images in which she peed inside an art gallery or on a table, as well as the most iconic, the one in which she peed on the Brooklyn Bridge. Our 
Art critic Miren Chayo wrote a text on Isiarokari's practice organized into blocks and concepts. It has something sculptural in it too. She is one of the many people with whom Itziar is in conversation for years. Miren Chayo writes about the economy of means, about working with the body as a way of working with what it is at hand. This strategy of means translates into working with what is strictly needed, using what is necessary. Itziar Okari's body has many things at hand, music, hair, gestures and repetition, the traditional Basque cry of Irinzi, echo, breath, yoga, light, language, and the disappearance of text, even dreams. In her practice with the body, there is also a shift from action to performance, making a self-conscious audience appear. To work with what is at hand could also mean working with artistic strategies, such as action and performance. Our conversation took place on the last day of January 2022. Itziar was in Bilbao and I was still in Barcelona. We were both accompanied by the same image, the transcription of one of Itziar's dreams. She had the text printed on a t-shirt and I had it on the cover of a catalog of her work. We first talked about the last dream she had had at the time. After going through some of her areas of interest together, we ended up returning to dreams. Her dream diary is a transcription of dreams from the night before. Itzia turns them into short paragraphs. She makes us linger over the same sentence, which is never the same sentence. She gives rhythm to her dreams. Literally, she turns them into sound matter. When I contacted her by email to do this podcast together, Itzia told me that she had just finished writing her forthcoming book, with Caniche Editoral about her dreams. I like to think about how Itzia's dreams will happen in many other bodies, thanks to this book. Dreams are very intimate experiences in which others are present and absent at the same time. Dreams are similar to art actions. There are people who are part of them without ever being aware of it. Perhaps Itzia's book is a way of being able to dream her dreams and to feel her words in our bodies. You're lucky today. You're lucky today because I did have a dream tonight. I usually don't remember my dreams. But today I have a very conventional dream. I dream that I was in a bar with a good-looking man. Yes, it was a nice dream. It was a nice dream. We were drinking in a table, the two of us. It was like a kind of a date or something like that. Uh, suddenly a friend of mine comes and start talking to us. So I decided to leave. We decided to leave, take a walk or something, but then start training and we enter another bar, kind of a terrace or something like that. It was super nice because it had a canopy and uh, we could hear the rain like dropping in the canopy, all the sound of the water. It is a conventional dream, but anyway, you can build with it anything. I'm not sure what are non-conventional dreams. I'm not sure because it doesn't matter. I mean, at the end, the way that you choose the images in the dream or in the remembering the dream is what is material. But to dream with someone that you like or that you're having a date or you are going to catch a train and you are late, these things are kind of universal, which I like. The other day I was, I was teaching and I grabbed this memory of the test of Sedwick that is a beautiful test from the weather in Proust. And she talks about how to think through the material, through fabric. And she said that it's a negotiation between uh, an agency, 
how the material, one thing is what you want to do. Another thing is what the material lets you do, the shape of it and the, the texture and the, you know, all these things. And then what you want to do and what you can actually do with that. With the body is the same. I believe that somehow when you have the body present, of course, it's a sign and it has a meaning and it's, it's material as well. So the way that you are talking and the words that you are using and everything no, that affects the movement. For example, now my hands are moving because I'm thinking and I need to move my hands. So this is happening in the body as a shape, as a materiality. So, of course, language affects the body in a formal way, in its representation. I do write to talk. I write in a way that I know that it's going to be talk. It's going to be something that is going to happen in the voice and back into the test again. So most of my writing is, is made not through talking, but yes, for with that in mind, you know. It is different. Yeah, in the test that I told you about, she uh, said um, when you think in words what you can do, the feeling of agency is that you are omnipotent. It's like a godlike. You can do anything. And once that you start working with, I'm not sure about that, so... But uh, maybe, maybe it's right, you know. <laughs> I guess she talks about that and about the frustration of not getting it somehow. But I guess it, with the material is the same, even with the voice or when you are writing or when you are writing and reading at the same time. I'm doing this book on dreams now, and I want to say at the beginning, please, you have to read this out loud because you, you have to listen and you have to feel the words in your tongue, in your mouth, the rhythm more than the sound. Yeah, when you learn another language as well, you already have all the machine built for a language. So if you learn another one, suddenly you cannot really pronounce all these vocals, for example. You cannot really get very close to pronouncing them perfectly, you know. But it's funny. I was in New York like a month ago and Sergio Sprego's daughter and Rosas, she's learning to talk. And it's funny because you see how she tries to pronounce, how she tries to, to build the words in the possibilities that she already is getting into that. The names, no? Um, Isar, Isa, Isa. It's like making such a huge effort to place the words into sound. <laughs> I only, well, only, I speak three languages, Basque, Spanish, and English. Of course, you feel different in each language, mostly because, to me, they are related with a time in, in my life. Basque is a family language. It's something that I learned in my childhood, and I speak in my childhood. And then the Spanish is the language that is more common for me. And English I learned in late, so it's a late language. I learned in my 30s. So I feel the boundaries of them. The lack of words and um, somehow the language is, is not natural. The Spanish for me is invisible no? in the experience of using it. But the English, even writing or, well, writing maybe not so much. But speaking, it becomes really, really present, takes shapes. It's heavy sometimes. It depends how long I've been speaking with uh, someone in English or Holon and being in, in an English-speaking place. It depends on that. I don't know. I feel really like a comfort somehow in Basque because it's a family language. But at the same time, because I lived in the States for 18 years, you know, I lose it. I have lost many, many words. When I came back, I started getting back to the language again. It's very strange because I feel the easiness of using it and at the same time, I feel the lack of some words 
mostly because I grow up as an adult, as a worker in English there, you know, so I have these words are more related to work and stuff in English or Spanish. What I learned is that you don't, even if you speak like a perfect new language, with all the pleasure that gives you to be able to speak in a new one, you don't get the code. Not really. Not the inside jokes, not the gesture, the minimal things. There are like many, many things that goes in a language, well, in a context of a language that you are not able to read. And that's exciting at the same time. You feel like in a new place all the time, all the time, no matter how long you live there, you are like visiting. But at the same time... You know, I am not so good with English or with Basque, but for me, there is a kind of a pleasure working in those languages. Sometimes I do prefer to read some things in other languages. The book that I told you, for example, of Agota Kristof, I have it in Basque and in Spanish. I really, really like the translation in Basque. It's beautiful to read it. Even the title in Basque, I don't want to touch it. Analfabeto Aidasle, which in Spanish is only La Analfabeta. The title is La Analfabeta, but in Basque is la escritora analfabeta. De hecho, es la analfabeta escritora. It's completely different. Actually, it's about the language because she did write in another language, in French. So it's a long time that I haven't read the book, but I was getting it because I got the Spanish version for my daughter that she doesn't want to read it in Basque. She wants to read it in Spanish. Okay, whatever. The book is beautiful. A friend of mine, Miren, Miren Hayo, gave it to me because she thought that I would like it. And I do. This translation especially, because I have another one, which I don't like it so much. But I was thinking how when I read in English, the concepts and the words are more concrete to me. I can see them. In Spanish, everything is so fast. It's a strange, this uh, difference. I remember like going there to London from the States and thinking, oh my goodness, they use a lot of words, <laughs> you know, compared to New York, that the sentences are shorter and faster somehow. Yeah, it's exactly that. When you read it, you feel that it's written in that language and that's it. And sometimes you feel the, the how do you say, the tension. The tension with the language. I am thinking in Gibson, William Gibson, in the translation of Gibson in Spanish. I have a friend, Iñaki, Iñaki Garmendia. He likes to read it in Spanish, but I don't. I like to read it in English. It depends of it. Later on, I was thinking in how do you take something from the past to the present? For example, Shakespeare. I remember that I disliked it very much when I was studying until I got a translation from Agustin García Calvo and suddenly I fall in love. So it depends on the translation. In Bilbao, I tend to read in English because I miss it. But in New York, I guess you don't have so many Spanish books. So I guess you are stuck with what you have. Not that they are not. They are, of course. But you have to make an effort to get them. Well, I'm a lazy person, eh? I have to say. I tend to go to the same libraries and, you know, these kind of things. Definitely the context, it was like, it has this ghost-like present on a sculpture. 
it does. And at the same time, when I did the study, I study sculpture, and we have all these women, like Ana Laura Laez, Idoya Monton, Gemma Orostiri, I don't know, Gemma Inchausti, I don't know, many, 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 Miren Arenzana, wow. There were like many, many, many women working in sculpture. They were really moving the whole uh, structure of what it was being made somehow. So it was amazing, an amazing moment. As a student, with the other students, I mean, they were compañeras. It was an interesting moment. But, I mean, I am a very object-oriented and space-oriented person. You know, I move a lot when I talk, and I am very conscious of the volumes of objects and all these things. I mean, compared with Azucenaviatis, for example, that she's a dimensional person, you know, in her relationships with things. late into words. At the beginning, I was much more interested in things that were like, how can I say, like a periphery. I was interested mostly in things that were almost words, like the irinci, or numbers. You have a number, of course, you have one, two, three, a number. Or you have the idiom, uh, you know, you have one, two, three, uno, dos, tres, bat, bi, iru. You have the words that signify the concepts or the numbers, you know, you can write anything like that. It's completely different to work with things that are like uh, around it, around words, around words that are part of a language that can say everything. It's too much. It was too much for me. I was more interested in that because somehow address the nature of language, of the use of it, of the whole structure. And then suddenly someone asked me to work with uh, Virginia Woolf, A Room of Your Own, that was translated to Basque. And I decided to take a piece of it because it's too much already, the whole thing, and work with these 81 words or something of the beginning of the chapter two. That was my coming into, okay, let's, let's see what's going on with all the words. I have to say it's a very, very, very beautiful book. Actually, it's written for uh, a conference. It's made to be talk as well. So it has the talking in mind somehow. It has this easiness in the language. What I did in this performance is repeat this paragraph. And each time I took one word out, the first one, all the time. So the first sentence is always changing, always different. And it affects somehow the whole paragraph. It's very, very nice. And um, it's easy to do. I mean, it starts uh, saying... I don't remember. <laughs> I have to read it. I do work with words in front of me all the time. And I make the decisions somehow at the moment, most of the time. Not this time. It's not that I have to memorize the words. In Spanish, I do. Eh? The dreams, I write them in my phone, so it's like uh, with a finger, like tin, 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 typing with uh, one finger in the morning. But I do write also, I mean, I use any, the computer or the handwriting as well. For me, it doesn't really matter too much. I have to decide to use the handwriting somehow, and I tend to draw when I write. To explain something instead of saying something, for example, I have a dream that I dream and I record it in my phone and then I pass it in the computer. No, the opposite way around. I write it handwriting. I never do that, but I was doing this experiment to what's going to happen if I do write handwriting my dreams. Okay, so I did that and I make a drawing of a, because I did dream with a sculpture and then I, I lose the dream. So I have to type it. And then in the typing, I don't do drawings. So I have to explain by words, okay, this is a parallelogram and it's on top of the other one. They look like a podium, uh, blah, 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 all these things, you know. It's a completely different 
use of words. It's interesting. When I was still at the school, I did the first version of the Variation sur le Mentem. So I consider that my first artwork. But if I think about, maybe I can recover something, like drawings or things like that. I won't know if they are art, I'm not sure. I was very close to like a feminist groups we were working, doing like drawings for some feminist groups. Well, and I was, and I and all of us, we were thinking, you know, what's a body, uh, how it works as a sign, uh, what's the meaning of how you build a woman. And so I was thinking, well, if you want to be a body, what kind of body you want to be and how can you move a little bit the sign somehow, no? It was like a positive affirmation of, of a body. A gender body, so also. I tend to ask what is necessary, what is necessary for something to exist, to be. Not so long ago, I this. It was a performance, like the talking with the statues. I was talking with a wall because behind the wall it was uh, a work of Lore Alfaro. I was talking to it and, of course, afterwards I, I was speaking with a friend and he told me, I, I don't know, I don't like it. It's like this woman that loses her mind and is uh, talking alone and is alone there. And I told him, did you see a woman there? And, of course, if you see this person... You are just looking at the back of the person with a short hair and um, pants and a shirt or T-shirt or whatever. You don't see anything, really. It's very, you know, and he told me, you are right. This is just my assumption. You don't know if you look at the image, but sadly, gender-wise, in front of you. Maybe if with the voice, of course, the voice somehow is gender it has an age, it has an accent, it has everything, like many, many, many things. But you could be wrong, of course. It's misleading. Well, I feel a little bit like it's a fantasy. But at the same time, I do feel myself part of a, I don't know, community, a group of friends and that they are like working and they are like in conversation. But when you work in art, like anything, I mean, uh, Kadi Nolan is talking to me somehow, you know, not her as a person, but the work. So you react and you respond to anything that is in conversation with you. Of course, if you have the people next to you working, you tend to work with them. But I believe Probably, like any working artist or any other thing, probably has a, a group of persons that is working with. I tend not to believe that the people works alone, like this strange thing that appears out of nowhere, unrelated with anything else. But it's true that we are close somehow. I mean, it's in a small community and in a small place, it's easy to go back and forth and... I have to say that I said that in a provocative way, in a queer context. I was presenting my work, we were in conversation, and I said that knowing that it was provocative to say that. I relate with the term feminism, feminist from the beginning, and I'm proud of it. But what I don't like it is like when you place it next to an artwork as a label. I don't like it either when you say ecologist or performative or it's too narrow always and it directs your 
reading, your understanding of the work in a very, very narrow way. And I like not to be placed... I mean, I do that all the time. I try to not to place too many labels on the understanding of, of the material. I never read anything when I go into a museum, you know. It's terrible. It will direct your understanding of what you are going to see. It's the worst thing. I am very unconscious about all these things, about my computer as well. Suddenly it dies and it's a huge drama, always. So with my body, you know, I have to take care of him, not like very much, and I abuse it as well, a lot. The thing is, um, yeah, I do. I do yoga and I come from a feminist background. From the beginning, I started working on everyday life, on public space, even in when I was studying. So when you do that, you tend to be aware of the material that you have, the body that ages and lives and dies and gets sick. And it is very interesting. But this awareness, you have to come into it because for you, you, everything is like so natural that is invisible. So when I was young, I was not very much aware that I was a young woman working with her body, you know, and what's the meaning of that, no? The beauty or not of it and how the objectualization that can be happening to that thing. But I came aware of it very, very fast. Once that you get the reaction of the audience, you tend to be aware of it and you work with it. And now that I am aging, you know, it's interesting. You can see now how you, the body that somehow devaluates, no, in a patriarchal society, in capitalism, you know. <laughs> but to address that uh, somehow politically, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting because... You can't do that. As a working materialist, it's new. That's the good thing about it. It's changing all the time. It's alive. So you are in a new situation all the time. I think that's, that's amazing. The other day I was teaching and they gave me the pictures and names of the alumnos. And when you met them in real life, you cannot recognize them. You have to make an effort, you know. And this is for university. I don't know. My goodness, this is not Tinder. You don't need to impress me. Not in that way. I did work in different places. First in Bilbao in my home, in the university as well, no? that you have uh, different materials at hand. And, uh, of course, very fast in the street, with all these variations, rulementem, and other things as well, you know, like, uh, how do you call it, when you saw the hair in your hands, or in Arteleku, which was an amazing place. It was uh, an space, some people, and workshops, in the periphery of a city, of uh, San Sebastian. This idea of the periphery here as well is very important because it is possible to do things there that are not so held by the norms of the public space or some other things. But also the workshops. You have a wood workshop, you have a silkscreen, you have space to be left alone, to think you have a library, you have uh, many things that now it's very difficult to have a space. Is, uh, space is expensive. Computer, every single person has uh, here, no, in this world, has one. And then I left to New York, and then we have uh, 45 meters for both of us, you know, so we have to do it with that. But we have done there many beautiful things. I mean, the writing with a flashlight, the many things that we did. We 
live and work in the same place. Now, back in Bilbao, I share a studio with John Notamendi and Lore Alfaro, but I never go, I mean, to work in the studio. And it's five minutes from my home. So I only go if I need to do something special. I'm lazy because it's an industrial space and I feel cold and I don't know. And so I tend to work at home. And if you see the space at home, I don't have a sofa, but I have a computer, two tables, three tables in the same place. Many things that looks like a studio. So it shapes you. At the beginning, it was my studio. The first peeing images are from my studio. They are not standing up. They are from tables. My studio in uh, Dusseldorf, I was doing a residency over there. Then the river, that it was next to me. I tend to remember suddenly, you know, Sarah Ahmed, this queer phenomenology thing, that you work with the things that you have at hand somehow, you know, that are available for you. But I do in the river and not in front of a bar, for example. Of course, you choose the things. I choose whatever I like. It's more like I tend to think, oh, it should be amazing to be in, I don't know, in the Brooklyn Bridge because I do love this image of Yayoi Kusama and I'm going to do a remake of it or... I would love to be on top of a car because I think it looks like a... I will look like a rock singer somehow. This kind of building images that you would love to exist. They are not so conscious, but there is a guide. Okay, let's do this on that. I don't think so much about that. I don't know. I will think about that. <laughs> When I read this, I was thinking in this book, Irene Vallejo's El Infinito en un Junco, you know, when she said the invention of writing, it was something that gives you the possibility to think outside of your mind, in the paper. So internet as well is the same. It's not thinking outside of the body, but you have all the information available for you on your fingers, all of it. You don't need memory. It's outside there and it's reachable any moment. So I guess that would change everything. I'm not so very conscious about it. At the beginning, I was very excited somehow, you know. I was sending my dreams from New York to Leon to Musak. I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. I can send my dreams every day and it will change the face, the interface of the exhibition, the experience. I talk and work a lot with my family and friends anywhere in the world. That's amazing. But of course, I am very critical as well. It has changed my way of working. I do use it. I did the oceanic breathing during the pandemic in Shanghai, for example. I think it's beautiful that you put yourself, that you put your headphones and you can listen to these two women reading that the sound looks like the sea. That's beautiful. It's not about information, but it is about knowledge. You get knowledge through use. You get the knowledge using things. You make them part of who you are, of your mind, of your body. I do very much, yes. It's like yoga. Well, I am a yoga instructor as well. I do like it. I 
I am not a nerd of music at all. It's the same with books. I mean, they are next to me. I need them. I live through them. With the music, it's the same. But I know very much about something and then nothing about something else. I am very mm, irregular that way. I also uh, live through the electronic music and all the dancing. What can I say? I have people that they are being next to me forever, like Kate Bash, for example. I was waiting for her to put another vinyl on, you know, on sale for us, you know, like, and I still do, like, wait for her if, if she's gonna sacar algo, a new one. The latest ones being the most beautiful, for example. But I am very much into, when you dance, it's different. Dancing is another thing. It's something, music as well, is so situated in a moment. And you can recognize that. It tells you so much about that. When I did the red light, it was the first time that I have a camera. I was wondering, what can I do with this? How do you replicate this dancing body in front of you? And yeah, it has shaped my work somehow. It's something that I live with it. <laughs> I have listened a lot of Sakamoto during the pandemic. Also, I don't know, gas as well. Panzer the Prince. What else? I don't remember. <laughs> With a mobile phone, you said something about the scenographic. Of course, when you document something, it could be more scenographic, but now we have this scenography of everyday life. Everyone is with this mobile phone documenting everything, so it's not any scenographic anymore. But I never think about it. I go and I work in the moment, choosing and doing everything at the same time. And you are talking about resistance, and I do believe, yes, it is. Because you are dealing with other kind of norms, other kind of rules. The rules are different. For example, if you go to this fountain and you pee in the fountain, even if it's night and there is not many people around because it's better, you know, it's more relaxing. <laughs> and you're filming as well with this small camera. Maybe it's not so visible, but it's there. I remember that an old man coming to us and telling us, oh, te vas quedado tranquila. Of course you are changing the rules. I believe that's a, it's a poetic gesture, as much as it is some sort of an act of resistance as well. They are both things at the same time. You have to deal with them. And somehow what I like it is that it contaminates each other. Part of life's everyday life comes into the work and part of the work goes into the everyday life. I like that very much. But when I discover suddenly that you can have an audience, that's a completely different thing. That's another landscape of knowledge. You have this audience. You have this, this Marco frame of representation. Suddenly everything that you do is language. And that's a pretty amazing situation as well. But it's, of course, a completely different situation and landscape of knowledge. It's very concrete. You cannot forget if you have one person or a thousand, I don't mind. They are in front of you. You cannot forget about that. You have to work with it. It's there. <laughs> so, I mean, the first time I did the applause, so I was working with it. And then it's not that you are like aware 100% of everything. You cannot. I tend to do things that require a lot of concentration. I do that technically because I do want to change things live. Some kind of, I don't like the word improvisation because it's like a Pandora box, but it is something that you decided at the moment that you are working improvisationally, yeah? It requires a lot of concentration that changes the situation because your awareness of the audience is 10%, unless you need it. 
and then it's part of what you are working with, then it goes up. So that's the way it is. I don't know if I answered the question. It's very easy to think in that way, you know, of a performance. Okay, we have a party, we have a performance. It's similar, or we have this conversation that is also something that we are gonna work with and in life. Too many questions. Suddenly I realized the other day, and the other day, like months ago, listening to Steve Faston, he was talking about compost. He said that is something that is going to happen inevitable. It's inevitable that it's going to rot. But you are doing it, how do you say, like voluntariamente, no, consciously. You do it consciously. Um, a lot of my work has this exception. You dream. It's inevitable that you are going to dream. But you took this as a material, you do it consciously, so you are working with it. Or you pee, or you breathe. They have this quality first. What I am interested most of it is that it's something that everyone is related to, is subjected to as well. Everyone dreams, everyone pees, everyone breathes. So it's uh, something that as a human, we share. Is an action that we share, is an experience that we share, that we cannot control, or we can, you know, but there is like some sort of common material there. So I am not interested in the subjective, subjectivity of my dreams. Everyone will dream with a beautiful man. Why not? You know, yes, because everyone has desires. So I am more interested in that. And why dreams? Well, of course, I did the Virginia Woolf chapter two, this performance, and suddenly I came into the world of words, which are infinite, and you can do anything with them, and you can build any image with them. But why should I build an image or anything with why there is there has to be a reason for that and I didn't have a reason for that I am not a writer so I decided to build like a machine you know a process to get words I decided okay if I just record my dreams I will have like a fiction that's it so I do that it's a way of getting words to work with that's why of course I am aware of that there are dreams and blah 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 but uh, I like the contingency part. I like that there is part of everyday life. I like that very much. That there are some other rules that, that you are not aware of, and etc. It's a little bit like doing actions. Sometimes I do have this dream that I do remember. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do control dreams. I remember dreaming with La Bruja Pirula, the Pirula witch, that she was following me like flying into her broom next to the floor. And I was running and running into next to a river, running. And suddenly I realized, okay, the Pirula witch doesn't exist. This is a dream. So I'm going to sit, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to be awake. And so I did. That's what happened. So I can sometimes control my dreams, but very few times, eh? I have to say. I can talk a little bit about the book of dreams. I am very happy with it. I mean, because it's been another process. Like come to terms with another place, which is writing a writing page with words that are writing by me, which is strange. Suddenly you realize that someone is going to read that in their minds. And so it's been like quite hard because I was thinking, okay, this makes sense? Does it make any sense to do this? I am happy that I was willing and I was brave enough to do it and see what's going to happen. 
Oh, Isabel is such an amazing editor. She's amazing. What can I say? I mean, she's next to you. Every single word. I don't want to have another one. I want to edit with her all the time. And also, she is so respectful. So she tries to put herself in your skin. It's really amazing. Because there are other kind of editors as well. You know, why not? It's actually in the hands of the designer. So let's see. Yeah, I was really not so not so sure how to direct the work to make like a performance compilation, which I feel very comfortable with. These are the words of some performance. I can get this book in my hands and do all these performances. But I decided not to at the end, no, to let the words be like fiction. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Recording and editing, Sonia Fernandez-Pan. Final editing and voiceover, Elena Cesar. Music, Stephen McAvoy. Research Team Tabea Rotfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and Communication Anna Franke. Technical Support Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright by Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW 2022.